You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ask Drone You. If you've got a question regarding business, tech, 3D modeling, 3D mapping, digitizing your environment, flying drones, missions, the business within, all those things, go to askdroneu.com, upload those questions. But as always, my name is Paul. My name is Rob, and yes, we would love to hear from you. We uh, couldn't do this without you and your questions. That's the whole point. And so please take a minute. We'll remind you that whatever's on your mind is most definitely on somebody else's mind. So askdroneu.com and uh, get them in. For sure. We've got a question today. Actually, this person has asked many questions on the show before. Um, and as many of you know, he is now actually an instructor here at DroneU. He's got a roofing class up on the site right now. And the roofing inspection class is actually quite interesting. Here's why. I just recently learned that drones in the industries that they are being utilized are really being expanded in use. Because right now, roof inspections are not just an insurance adjustment thing anymore. It's now something that's being done before solar inspections. So as a drone pilot, you can make money on the roof inspection, pre, pre-solar install, maybe work with the solar insulation company, give them some photos for marketing, and then get hired to do the solar maintenance inspections every month. I mean, that's a triple whammy, Rob. That sounds like a great deal. And then you do a few of those. And you got a full range, full, full-fledged full business. Yep. It's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. It can happen. It all starts with belief in oneself and self-worth. Sure and sometimes that is only learned through mental discipline, which is only learned through giving yourself a daily goal and proving to yourself you can do it because you can. On that bombshell, let's listen to today's question uh, from Tom. Tom, we are grateful for you. Check out his roofing class. Uh, it's really awesome on the Drone U site and uh, the Drone U membership. And uh, I think you're going to find this particular show quite revealing, quite interesting as we discuss the industry trends that we're going to see this year and what we hope to see. Hey, Paul and Rob, Tom again, another question for you. Now that we're a few months into uh, 2021, I was wondering if you can give us what your predictions are for the drone industry for the uh, rest of the year. Thanks again. Tom, you're the best. Thank you for the question. Um, we were commenting pre-show that uh, the question's a little vague, but that's good. It's, uh, it's not a bad vague. It's a good vague because it kind of opens it up and it's open-ended and man, what's going on in the industry? What's coming? There's definitely a lot that's going on and we may not be able to really hit all the bases in in one particular show because as many of you know, uh, COVID and the pandemic have really changed a lot of trends. Not all of these trends are negative, by the way. I would say that there's actually a lot of positive trends. But that said, one of the first trends, Rob, that I want to get to is that we are seeing a lot of drone teams and organizations. Mm Mm-hmm that are looking to hire outside of their in-house employees, that they're actually merging drone service providers, AKA contractors, and integrating them into their drone teams. So I misunderstood when you brought that up pre-show as we were talking about this, you're saying that 
Because the way I understood it, and maybe this is happening as well, is that there are organizations that are attempting or have attempted to set up their own drone program with their own drone team, but that it hasn't gone real well. And so they're reverting back to using DSPs. That is also true. But that's not what you're saying. That's that's saying that they're, for example, I don't know, just take a large construction company, um, maybe in the bigger cities, as part of their drone program, they might have an actual drone pilot, but maybe in a smaller city, they're using DSPs or uh-huh. something along those lines. And so I think it's important to clarify that really, I think the trend here is that drone teams are being augmented yeah. with contractors, not really replacing team members, but augmentation. Interesting. Very interesting. That makes a lot of sense. And I would say that also, I don't think you're wrong either in the sense that there are some drone teams that have failed to launch, literally, as managers realize how many nuanced, uh, you know, yeah. systems there are to master and manage. Um, there are teams that have gone just straight to DSPs and have replaced, not augmented, with contractors. And, and by the way, that is one of the big reasons that we started the Props program. If you want to check it out, go to propsflightschool.com. But Props is a part of, or what was Props was built by DroneU. So, I mean, to that point, though, I mean, is that really surprising to you? Because there are subject matter experts who have been flying drones that can offer vast value beyond what some of these newer teams can do. Yeah, no, especially when what we've seen in a lot of instances are companies that say, how hard can this be? We have Jimmy, who's a great kid, whatever, 25 is a kid to me, 30, whatever, and <laughs> me. grew up playing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All that says is I'm old. Anyways, they grew up playing video games or whatever, right? And so they can fly the drone. And so they just put this person in charge of flying the drone, if not the drone program, and then realize there's more to this. Then we realize. And so that's when they might be reverting back to, we probably should get somebody who is a professional. This is a profession and we need a professional to do this kind of stuff. At least if we want to get true value out of the process. Yeah. And it seems like that's kind of happening. Yeah. That's and will a, continue to happen the rest of the year and beyond. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves because as people have said in the past of industry trends, the trends have not really been... Um, as black and white as we would as we would think or hope as, or right. as we would write in industry trend articles. Yeah. But rather kind of a hybrid of the two situations. Mm-hmm. So, but that brings us to our next industry trend, which I am going to ask you about because you've been working on this here at Drone You. And I think that you might be able to provide a better explanation of what this hmm. is. But one of the industry trends that we're going to see, and maybe I am, uh, I forget the legal term for this, um, but I am extrapolating a little too far. But I'm hoping that... Um, people who just get new drones mm-hmm. have a new means of learning how to access the airspace. I don't, I don't really care about learning anything other than learning how to access airspace. I think that that is so crucial that people, whenever they buy a drone, whether it's commercial or hobby, they should know where they can and cannot fly it. But that brings us to the industry trend of the FAA hopefully increases education with these new pilots mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the trust program. And yeah. Rob, since I trust you so much, will you tell us what the trust program is? <laughs> yes, we can certainly do that. So it's speaking very specifically, and many of you are aware of this. Some of you are not happy about it. Some are. Some are saying, you know what, it's probably making sense that 
because there are so many more drones in the air that people have to go through this process of understanding a little bit more about what it means. And to be clear, I'm very curious and interested to see what the response is going to be. Not just from people who are getting their drones from Amazon and Best Buy, but people who are building drones for STEM, FPV, Cinewhoop. Really curious what the response is going to be. Yeah. So anyways, what it is, is it's the recreational UAS safety test that is not quite out yet. We expect it to be launched in June by the FAA. And that is something that recreational pilots, folks that fly for fun in its simplest terms for recreation and for fun are going to have to supposedly go through in order to be able to fly legitimately. Yeah. And that is something that is coming. So is it a prediction? Um, I don't know that we categorize it as a prediction, but it is definitely coming according to the FAA. Well, and that's why I was extrapolating. The industry trend is that drone pilots will be more educated and vis-a-vis kind of this trust program. And that's that's why I said I'm going to be very curious as to the response. I am not going to uh, opine either way. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to use my prediction uh, machine up in my brain to to pontificate what's going to happen. But uh, anyway, I mean, it's like anything that's new and particularly when there's because and I don't know about this, I'd be curious to find out more, but I presume that it's just like, for example, model aircraft people. Freya people would have would fall under this. I don't know that. But doesn't that make Mm. sense? I mean, they say hobbyist and, well, I mean, they say recreational pilot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's supposed to be broader than what hobbyist was before. Um, hmm. Again, I, I'm going to be, re- I'm just really curious about what the rollout is, how it's going to be implemented with the drones. Like if you fire up a new drone, is it going to say provide your your trust program ID I don't think so. or something? I don't think so. I've um, done a lot of reading on it. I've not seen anything to that effect. But then again, the program's not rolled out completely yet. Yeah. So, you know what? Let's make a prediction. It's coming and it's going to go well. There will be people that like anything that's a new rule or regulation or even law that reject it, if like, you will. I like how you covered the whole gamut there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they will reject it, ignore it, fly anyways. I don't know what's going to happen in that case, but I think generally it'll be a positive adoption. I'm going to extrapolate that the industry trend is that newer pilots will be, and I'm hoping this, I'm I'm not going to sit here and pontificate about the rollout or how it's going to go down or who's going to do what, but my industry trend prediction is that you're going to see a more educated body of drone users. And I think that that is a good thing for everybody no matter what. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Next. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, because I, I just, I, I'm so afraid. I just don't want to, I don't want to set a trend by saying the wrong thing here. I think yeah. that overall in trying to really focus on the positive here, that if it does educate new users, then it's effective and it's helping everyone. Um, now, whether that happens or not is all going to be in the how. We don't know how that's going to roll out. I mean, we are, you know, even looking at being a part of that program because we believe that we can help in one form or another. And so, yeah. again, I don't. I also don't want to hurt or inhibit our ability to help in this particular uh, case. So that's yeah. all. That's why I want to move on. But yeah, 
That said, industry trends, and also I'm trying to work on propelling this particular industry trend, but I think we might see a wider adoption of the potentiality, not just in the United States, but all over the world, of a micro-drone rule. Because Canada has really led the, the way in this, um, and it's really brilliant because if you think about it, Canada is not... Uh, separating pilots who make money and pilots who do not make money. It's one set of rules for any drone that's below a certain size. And so again, we'll use the example of the Mini 2, right? And I got to say, Rob, that drone is unbelievably capable for what it is. Um, I'm going to write actually a new article coming up here about learn Cinewhoop or fly the Mini 2 because you can do these really wicked cool fly-throughs of interiors and you don't have to do the long learning curve of Cinewhoop. You can do it with a Mini 2 and get really killer results. So Yeah, it depends on what your goal is because Cinewhoop's fun, right? Cinewhoop is a lot more fun. <laughs> it's a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Nick is going to hear this and be like, what? And be like, no, Nick, you're right. FPV and Cinewhoop is way more fun, okay? But it is truly surprising that if you think about what is in the Mini 2, it's like a Mavic 1 or a Mavic Pro in a sub 250 gram airframe, meaning the flight distance. I mean, you can control this drone four, five, six, seven times further than a Skydio. I mean, and it for 500 bucks. It's crazy. It's a co Yeah. Anyway, uh, half the price, more capability. It's insane. But if you also look at how they program the camera, the JPEG recipe, the video recipe, the codec, it's amazing how much they're pulling out of that sensor. So yeah. micro drone rule, industry trend. What do we expect to see here? a wider adoption of micro drone rules uh, abroad and internationally. But I also think you might see the United States try to maybe either do research or also um, see if there's a potential for a micro drone rule here in America. I know this, this does not exist right now. There are, as from what I've heard, there are no means of trying to make it exist. But that said, this could be something that might have the ears of lawmakers in the future because why? Because it provides a means of not dividing pilots between commercial and recreational and simply saying, if you fly this level of drone, you can do X, Y, and Z, which makes airspace integration very simple. Mm -hmm. It makes airspace management very simple. And it also yeah. provides an opportunity for newer, younger pilots to take advantage of their airspace in their backyards uh, without having uh, any particular uh, ish regulatory issues. So. Yeah, any ramifications. That that should be. 100%. Just make it happen. 100%. I, I, I agree. So Canada is one of the few things I think you guys did very well. So <laughs> This is um, not beat up Canada. In fact, we just had a nice question from a Canadian. I, I know. I actually love Canada. I'm not going to lie. It's one of my favorite places too. to travel to. 25th anniversary went to, to Vancouver and I want to go back. Man, it's beautiful. I haven't been there. I want to go. I really want to go. Um, I just love how you can go to Eastern Canada and it feels like you're in Europe mm -hmm. without having to like I haven't been, go across the ocean. Yeah. yeah. I still have a lot more to see, but my time in Montreal uh, was amazing. So anyway, thank you, OnGood. Um, <laughs> by the way, we can all say it now. OnGood is no longer at PIX40. He's over at Brink Drones. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, what Brink Drones does, especially to have yeah. a powerhouse like OnGood, you know? No kidding. So okay, we I, should have him on, hear what's going on. I wonder what nickname they've given him now. I wonder how that has evolved. You mean other than Drone Gandhi? I'm pretty sure he's trying to go, everyone call me Fixed Wing Sing. 
because he says that by calling him the other name that we are offending people. And I'm like, dude, really? Those are maybe it's maybe that's maybe people are being a little sensitive. This is all in good fun. And if they don't know that, I'm twinks. I don't know. Anyway, that's got a nice ring to it as well. Yes. Yes. Anyway, on good, I'm happy for you, buddy. Um, the next industry trend that we might see is less new drones. Mm. Why less new drones? Well, it speaks to the text message that I got from the FAA this morning. Hey, can you change this article about remote ID? <laughs> uh, um, so what's going on here? Um, as many of you know, the remote ID rules have come out. But as many of you know, and as we talked about on the podcast... The specific module or module protocol that remote ID will communicate on has not been defined by the FAA. And therefore, we cannot say that a particular drone is remote ID ready. Correct. Even, yes, even though if they were to say that this system that was developed by DJI were to work within the system, then my article would still be right. And in my article, I also did say that we don't know yet because by the time remote ID is actually out, none of, we're not going to be flying any of these drones anymore. Yeah, but even, yeah, so it's, it's kind of moot. But again, we don't want to confuse people. True. That, that's very important that we not, in fact, we want to do the opposite of confuse people and that clarify. is to clarify for people. But in the end, it could simply be because you could have in two or three years, somebody still flying a Phantom 4 V2 or whatever. Because it's still the powerhouse of mapping drones? Probably still will be at, at this pace. Um, so maybe then at that point, it's, it's just a firmware yeah, update, I'm, right? I mean, well, it, that's my that's what exactly what I'm saying yeah. is it could be it could be it could yeah, be a firmware update. Not. We don't know yet. But until the FAA actually clarifies what the protocol is sure. going to be. Yep. I think that you are not going to see a lot of new aircraft from manufacturers simply because they probably want to ensure that the aircraft that they develop and design will be remote ID capable. And without having yeah. the protocol from the FAA, it's going to be quite difficult to be able to design, develop, and manufacture said drones. True that. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, that was kind of the point that I wanted to get to. Another industry trend, though, that we're seeing when it comes to drones, and I think, uh, Rob, you can speak to this actually exceptionally well, is we're seeing drones really shrinking in size and offering... Oh, wait a minute. More, no, no, oh, no, no, don't take that. No, no, no. I didn't mean it like that. No, 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 no. Uh, I should, I should rescind, Ouch. rescind, rescind. No, man, I did not realize how that could come off. That is not what I meant, okay? What? Oh, God. I was just trying to engage Rob more in the, in, uh, the industry <laughs> trends, okay? I was not trying to say anything about but, Rob. No, 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 in all seriousness, like, for example, I love flying, so I think what's going to be, quote, unquote, my drone is the Air 2. Yeah. Right? And I dig it. Good. I dig it. I don't need, I don't even need a Mavic 2 Pro. Better color, all that good stuff. I understand all that, but man... The Air 2 is a pretty dang good drone, too. It, it sure is. It really, so it really yeah, is. More and more people flying those. Well, yeah, and my point was is that I think what we're going to see is the platform that drones are flying on are going to continue to get smaller yeah. but offer more capability. Mm. That I hadn't gotten to that more capability part, right? It's yeah. not what you have. It's how you use it. So you're in, talking even in the enterprise level. Yes. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Right. I mean, look at CES. The last one we were able to go to, right, was 2020. And Autel's big thing was the Evo 2 Dual. Um, but when you compare the price point of the Evo 2 Dual against the Mavic 2 Enterprise Dual, I think you might be absolutely stunned and shocked yeah. at the capabilities and offerings 
and what they're priced at, um, which really is a competitive advantage for one particular manufacturer. That said, I think, though, that we are going to see more and more and more combined sensors, dual sensors. I think definitely... Interchangeable, perhaps. I really hope so. Even on like a Mavic, that'd be phenomenal. I really hope so, Rob. I really hope so. Um, Yeah, that would be incredible, frankly. Also, I think what we're going to see is, I think we're going to see the Phantom line kind of get what's the word uh axed overtaken by the mavic that the mavic 3 that comes out in august september might actually be a phantom replacement so i would be stunned at that um because again i think what a lot of drone manufacturers fail to understand because whenever people are answering this question they fail to understand the scalability aspect of the question. And what I'm talking about is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, can a Mavic 2 Pro map or model? Mm -hmm. And the technical answer is yes. But can you run a business of mapping and modeling on a Mavic 2 Pro? And the answer is no, because it takes three times longer to acquire imagery and it takes twice as long to process said imagery. So how are you going to build a business on volume if your drone can't perform the mission at the same time frame that another drone can do it. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to put a bunch of money into your computing power. Exactly my point. And so why, you know, so you you say, okay, I'm not going to buy the Phantom, I'll get a Mavic, but then now you're having to buy a crazy powerful machine or the cloud processor is going to take longer to process that imagery and correct for that data. So it's just stunning to me because a lot of manufacturers yeah. have really focused on linear rolling shutters and it's a cheap sensor to, to make, et cetera. But uh, the, you know, as I talked to a big industry leader while I was out in D.C., and he just said, uh, just so you know, because he goes, I listen to your show. Uh, just so you know, the Phantom is still the absolute powerhouse of mapping. And you said it brilliantly. It's efficiency, it's scalability, it's being right. able to handle handle volume missions. You know? But the idea would be that the Mavic 3, at least in a version of it, would have the appropriate shutter. This is what we're hearing. That's, what, that's the hope. That is the hope. And this is what we're hearing from the deep, deep inside leakers of the leakers. Ooh, so wow. anyway, we, we will we will see what happens. Leakers of the leakers. That's deep. Yes. Um, another industry trend that we uh, hoped or that we're seeing actually is a lot more. And I think that we're seeing a lot of this in M&A for just the macro business environment. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of mergers and acquisitions between drone companies. And I think that we will continue to see that. Uh, yeah, or just partnerships. Yeah. Even. Yeah. And one I didn't add on here on this list, but I want to talk about really fast because we talked about uh, the testimonies that were given in Congress yesterday and um, they are public, so I can talk about them, which is good. But yesterday, um, Adam Bry or Bree, excuse me, Adam, Adam Bree of Skydio essentially stated that DJI is the equivalent of Nokia and that Skydio is the equivalent of Apple. So when, if you remember, Nokia was big in the cellular industry, and then Apple came in with the smartphone and just kind of crushed everyone, my first question would be, well, what about BlackBerry? But are going to come back. Yeah, I know, right? Like, come on. Uh, <laughs> but that's the joking side of me, right? Uh, but um, they mentioned that it is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, that it is essentially national security to have an American drone manufacturer. And yeah. I agree I agree with Adam's sure. statement in that. But the thing that I think that 
I think the thing that we have to be really careful of is that we're not setting up American pilots to fail. And what I mean by that is that article I wrote again about, you know, pilots having ultimate control of that drone, the ability to stop a flyaway, et cetera, um, and the ability to um, change the flight path and override the autonomy engine in case of an emergency, because we still cannot do that. And so here's my point. The industry trend is that I think we're going to continue to see this big push for American manufacturers and NDAA approved drone manufacturing. Um, I think that that's going to be the big push. I think Adam Bree's testimony in Congress yesterday speaks exactly to this as a national uh, security concern. Mm -hmm. And I agree with him. I just want to say, Adam, buddy, stop selling the American people short and give us a drone where we can be ultimately in control because you have a phenomenal aircraft and a very simple line of code could really change the uh, capabilities of said aircraft. But that said, I do agree with you that I think that it is a national security concern, especially with the way that tensions are going in the world right now. We have got to have a supply chain of drones that Americans can use and can count on and are is not a potential risk to security. Mm-hmm. But in the extreme of what if we were to go to war and we need drone pilots, right? Which by the way, the Air Force said this uh, yet was it was it last week in the intelligence report that they're crazy low on drone pilots and they need more pilots. And so my the thing is like, what if we were to go in a war kind of scenario? What if there was to be some sort of draft? What if the military did need drone pilots, right? We would be setting them up to fail if they didn't really know the ins and outs of actually how to control aircraft. And my point is this, is that I think we are going to continue to see a big, big push for non-Chinese made drones. Look at the Sony Airpeak. Look at Freefly Astro. Look at uh, uh, Bobby Watts. I'm not going to let you down here, buddy. Look at the Prism, right? And by the way, um, are we the only drone of those three that we're actually seeing flying in the market right now is Bobby Watts's Prism. Where's the Airpeak? Where's the Astro, right? All these promises again. And I know there's a chip shortage and there's a supply chain issue, but this actually showcases the the problem as a whole. Yeah. That uh, we need to have American-made equipment that can compete with someone like DJI, but also doesn't rely on the same supply chain. So um, I think we're going to see the big push for American drones because essentially at the end of the day, it is a national security concern on multiple well, levels. Yeah, and I, I will say this, that it would be a lot of fun to be sitting here talking more about American-made drones than DJI. Yes, we just need American-made drones to actually be able to to compete price-wise and feature-wise with DJI because no one is. Nobody is. It's not even close. No. And that doesn't make me proud as an American to say that. But I mean, we've got to learn from these people. We've got to do what the Chinese did to the American uh, intellectual property. They, they, They literally looked at what we did, and they did it, and they made it better. Let's learn from them and make it better. That's all I'm trying to say. And don't leave pilots hanging. Don't overpromise and underdeliver because when something extreme does happen, someone's going to be left holding the bag and the outcome is going to be bad for everybody. And it, I have a question for Skydio, which is, do you guys really think that I'm being so pushy about this particular issue and others because I care about pilots or because I'm trying to make a point that's negative about Skydio? 
it's because I care about pilots. And at the end of the day, I want them to be successful, Skydio to be successful as well. And so I, I think that there are very minute issues that can be solved very easily. And I'm done with the diatribe, Rob. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're good. Next. Uh, all right, next. This is what we hope industry trends. Okay, hope. Before I go on another long diatribe, what do you hope that we see for an industry trend? Oh, I don't know. What's on the list? I don't remember. Oh, come on. <laughs> I don't remember. One of the things that we said is that Lance uh, gets oh, expanded. Oh, yeah, yeah. Expansion of Lance. Yeah. That'd be a good one. And also what I would like to see as well is that um, airport managers approve drone pilots to fly in more locations. There are airports that are Lance capable. There are airports that are not Lance capable. And in both of those instances, there are quote unquote zero grid areas. Mm. And I would argue that we have seen numerous responsible pilots attempt to get airspace authorization in those areas at an altitude Below MOCA, and remember, what is MOCA? Minimum obstacle clearance altitude. So think of a tree, a power line, a tall building. It's the altitude of that subject. And if drone pilots are seeking to fly below that altitude, to me, it really makes you wonder, what is navigable airspace? And it also makes me wonder, why not give pilots the ability to fly in those areas if they are below whatever the MOCA value is. So an industry trend that I would like to see is more space opens up uh, to drone pilots. So another thing I would like to also see is more clarity um, because I think that there, I, I just heard a pilot tell me, actually a student who said they were inhibited from flying in Texas because Texas has a rule that only law enforcement and those who have right of trespass can actually fly in the airspace. And Texas, while I love you and I'm trying to move there, um, it is important to remember the, uh, the preemption from the FAA and that it's the federal government who controls the airspace, uh, not the locals, but... Locals can inhibit takeoff and landing. Don't want to forget that. Yeah. But uh, my point is, mm. is that I would like to see more clarity from the FAA on authority as a trend um, and also give pilots the rights to fly in more places as well. Right on. Any other trends that you would like to see? Think aircraft, are there any aircraft that you want to see? I mean, we really nailed the industry trend last year of that FPV would be kind of made easier to fly. I mean, look at the DJI FPV, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we need to fly that. I need to fly that. I love that drone. <laughs> I know you do. That's what I'm saying. I need to fly it. It, re -in it reinvigorated my creative spirit, That's like awesome. on a soul level. But I'm also having, uh, we are having an FPV pilot on the show very soon. Oh. He just wrote a book, actually. It's a very, very good mm. book. Uh, and I wanted to give him some free publicity because uh, this kid's awesome. The just long and the short of it is hard worker. He's thought really through the methodology of kind of helping people transition from um, flying, quote unquote, consumer drones and moving into FPV. No kidding. In yeah. a book. In a book. Yeah, I have it on my desk. I'll show it to you. It's amazing. I've only read like... This is the first I've heard of this. Sorry, there's some things I've been no, working no, on since I, uh, I'm just saying it's I didn't make it. I didn't make it to this in the debrief. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. We did six uh, laps. So. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, but uh, no, it's exciting because he's trying to help bridge the educational gap. And uh, I think he did a very good job. So I want to I help him out. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. I don't know. What else do I want to see? What do I hope for? More drones in school programs? Okay. Um, 
that's you're, work, some, you're working on that through the props program, right? That's something that we've been working on with some school districts, a couple of them around the country, a couple in Texas. Um, I think there's one in California that are sort of beta with us. And, uh, you know, that takes a while because of just that process of budgeting. And they're always talking now about next school year and that kind of thing. Um, but I know there's a ton of kids out there that would love it. I actually... And it's a good opportunity. It is a good opportunity. Uh, I actually think that drones in STEM education mm-hmm. is a national security concern. Me- meaning a lack thereof would be a national security concern? Yeah, well, here's the thing is that we have seen from STEM programs how building and flying drones in STEM programs mm-hmm. takes the engagement level of kids in these programs to new heights, literally, no pun intended. Um, but it also helps these kids get re-engaged into STEM classes. And I've spoken with some uh, instructors up in, where was this? Midwest somewhere. I can't remember right now. Mm. But long story short is he's like, there's never been a bigger impact in getting students into the door than when I started teaching on drones. Totally. And we know that America is slipping behind in science and engineering. Gotcha. And so we also know there's a shortage of pilots. So we have a shortage of engineers and we have a shortage of pilots, right? Mm -hmm. If drones can incite more kids to go learn STEM-based education and then turn into engineers and turn into pilots, then it absolutely is national security because it is setting the country up to be competitive on a global scale. Yeah, I mean, somebody's got to meet the uh, the needs of the Space Force, right? In all seriousness. That's a good point. I mean, no, I totally understand. And I think that it can be a portal to kids getting re-energized with regards to math and science because it's fun. And so, yes, we need more school districts. And and by the way, I've done a lot of research and, for example, looked into a lot of the different instructional material providers, some of the bigger ones in the country. They have very little on drones, very little. Yeah, And, and these are STEM program providers. And, and what I saw in the amount that they were charging for this, some of these modular systems was blowing my mind. For what they did have. Are you so, saying it's kind of like how Austin is setting up these bathroom homeless shelters and they cost $5 million each? What? Yeah. <laughs> That's what a contractor told me last week in Austin. That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just like, you're like, how do you pay five, five mil for a bathroom, for a portable bathroom? I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's true, by the way. This is full speculation. Um, but uh, what, what my point is this is that, and this is, this is rampant all over the world is that governments uh, do pay a premium for services. Um, Sometimes this is actually a good thing. It supports R&D, it supports growth, but sometimes it's ludicrous. So it just depending on how much money is spent. But uh, that's the, what do they call it? The the government industrial engine or what what is it Mm, called? I know Uh, what you're talking about, yeah. um, But anyway, uh, I, I was just trying to do a quip about how sometimes we pay too much for stuff in government. Well, there's the old $5,000 toilet yeah, yeah, yeah. And thing, right? That's what I was trying to find, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, you know, it's funny in talking to some folks because we're getting more involved in talking about um, doing some government work, contracting and so forth. And some of the people I've been talking to are saying that you have to be very, very careful and make sure that they are, the prices that you're giving the general public are the prices that you're giving the government, et cetera, and they watch that very closely. I'm like, really? Then why are they paying $5,000 for a toilet? And obviously that's an exaggeration and probably not accurate, but we do see 
Because we've all known people that are government contractors and the amount that they make on a particular contract relative to what they might charge another private organization, it does not seem to be the same. Yeah, that's actually quite interesting. I, I would like to learn more about that. But yeah, uh, and not that we're trying to, you know, rip the government off at all. I mean, obviously. We are not war dogs. We are no <laughs> We are not war dogs. We're not true. we are not reselling five five six ammunition. Um bad ammunition at that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, that was a good movie. Um so, I mean, as far as in, going back to industry trends, I mean, one of the things that you said that I, I just want to hit on really fast is the Space Force. Mm. I think some, one big macro, and we'll, we'll end on this, but one of the big macro uh, things that I have seen drones teach people, and not just kids, mm-hmm. is starting to look and view the world in a 3D perspective. Hmm. Um, and what I mean is like, for example, whenever we train anyone based in aviation, this never comes up. Whenever we train anyone who's an oceanographer or who does anything uh, water-based mm. where they have to think of the world not in 2D like photos, but 3D as in what is the space I'm taking up? How deep am I going into the water? How high am I going into the air? Right? It's this macro philosophy of 3D versus 2D because oftentimes I've noticed that people really look at the world in, in two dimensions. They don't think about what's below their home. They don't think about what's above their home until you go to markets like New York City where you can sell the airspace rights above your building so that someone can't build a building that goes over yours. Uh, this happened in Alexandria as well hmm. with Yates uh, buying that breakfast place that we got breakfast from. Long story short is if it teaches kids to think of the world in a 3D environment as a whole, everyone benefits because they, I think that they will be thinking about things in a much different uh, form and a much more informed position as well. Because I've seen a lot of people who hmm. have come to us during trainings and have mentioned this particular aspect as, as well, that flying drones and understanding free space has really forced me to look at the world in a different way. I don't even know where to go because we can start philosophizing on that Uh-oh. point. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, we just let you write your own ending to that point. <laughs> Now I'm curious, but now I'm curious like where... Uh... I don't know. I mean, just like a short thing that comes to mind is, yeah, I could see that in the sense of that it, it helps people, kids in particular, that grow into people who are more aware of um, the impact they're having on the people around them, for example. Yeah. Right. So three-dimensional, I, I don't know, you could just take that to mean a lot of different things. And I don't know exactly what you're meaning by that point, but that's okay because I'll write my ending. You write yours, you yeah. have yours. I think there's it a could be deep. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of numerous ways that that mentality can pervade yeah. across very subjects. So, very but as as far as a whole, uh, those are the kind of the industry trends that we see. Tom, thanks again for asking that question. Yeah, check out Tom's roofing roofing inspection course. Just another way that you can make money with your drone by becoming a Drone U member, and that's the big thing. Drone U, it's not just part 107. We go beyond flight school to teach you how to handle problems and those solutions in various operating environments, so that you can rise above the rest and be the best possible pilot that you can be and have numerous streams of income. That's going to do it for us today. My name is Paul. My name's Rob. This is Ask Drone U. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity. 
for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.